Welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome. We are in Romans 2 today. We finally made it through chapter 1. We're working through slowly and making our way line by line. So it's been good. Um, let me open up with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your sovereign grace, your mercy, and your loving kindness. Um, you put up with so much and you give us so much time and space and you continue to draw us to you. And I, I just pray that your word uh, opens our hearts and our minds today, that we can get everything we need out of your word together and we can continue searching it after this study and finding the meaning that is in it. We thank you for our body. And we thank you for the people that are here today and the ones that couldn't come. We ask for their blessing, your blessings on them, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Romans 2. Quick recap from chapter 1. Looking, uh, looking at chapter 1, just to the end there as we finished up. Um, unbelief and its consequences. The wrath of God. It's revealed by a couple things that we looked at in particular in the last couple weeks. Verse 24, God gave them over so that their bodies would be dishonored. Verse 26, God gave them over, once again, to degrading passions, allowing them to reap what they sow. Verse 28, God gave them over to depraved minds to be filled with awful things. And the list goes on, right? We read through the list. It's unrighteousness, it's wickedness, it's greed, evil, envy, murder, and the list continues continues to go on. Um, as we talked at the beginning of this class, this letter that Paul wrote, he's writing to a church that he didn't start, he didn't... Um, begin. He's writing to a church that's already um, been set up and been established. We know that maybe all, if not most, of the Jews were kicked out of Rome at some point at the beginning of this church. Um, and they're not supposed to be there. There might be some within this church. Um, possibly if they're Roman citizens, like Paul was, that they were allowed to stay. Uh, but it, regardless, he's, he's writing to a group of believers within the church. Um, and there's no chapter breaks when he's writing it, right? We are reading it with verses and chapter breaks, but there's not. So the thought that Paul started um, from verse 18, chapter one, through to 32, it just continues on into chapter two. So we gotta remember that as we're reading through this. Um, and, and remember that Paul's still on the same thought process. He's not stopping to change chapters. So we gotta stay in that mindset. And uh, the, the teaching and the lesson that he has started and begun continues. And in, in chapter one, we saw the consequences of unbelief and, and what there is and what God does for those who are just completely, um, utterly against 
the truth and God, they suppress it, whether or not they've been raised that way or they decided to afterwards. Um, they've suppressed the truth. They've celebrated unrighteousness. They've celebrated things that um, God is very unpleased about. And, and we saw that through chapter one. And it's a lot of things that most of us ourselves um, feel like, yeah, that's, that's not me. That's not the person that Paul's describing here. It's, it's someone else and it's something else. And it's probably along the lines of what a lot of people within the Roman church were thinking too. Um, all of those things that you just said, um, like the warning and everything of being turned over to this land, we're seeing all of that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen it since um, <laughs> since humans uh, began uh, on their own path of their own self-righteousness. Yeah. Um, it was happening 2,000 years ago, and it's happening right here and right now as well. Yeah. So you're right. Um, verse 32, it really points out the fact in chapter 1 that uh, willful disobedience and encouragement of those who practice such things um, that the world's encouraging it and they're, they're a part of it and they're continuing that. And we're seeing that now today too. So then he, he does transition. It's not a chapter transition in his letter, but we see it here. And he, it's because... Um, the, pers- the people, the group he's addressing and talking to somewhat switches into chapter 2. Um, and, and before we get into that, where we're going to go into chapter 2, we're going to see who this people, this person is that Paul's addressing. But the, the folks in chapter 1, the end there, um, these people will actually be easier to reach with the gospel than the ones we're about to address. Um, because of their blatant disregard and the lifestyle that they've led and the consequences that have led, uh, that has happened because of their life choices. A lot of them are bad. A lot of things Mark went over last week were just, look at, look at what homosexuality does to the human race. And life expectancy goes down. Um, a lot more disease uh, tends to happen. Um, the family unit begins to get broken up and disintegrated. And there's lots of it's sad because it's normalized, or it's normalized now. And this nation is involved because of its been. Yeah, so here in chapter, chapter 2, um, Paul gets started, and it begins in verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. There's a lot of yous in that. And uh, when you first are reading this and you first pick up Romans, you really feel like Paul's um, pointing uh, directly at, at you yourself, right? And you take that as, um, well, I, shouldn't, I, pro- I guess I shouldn't judge anyone for what they do and I should just let them do what they're gonna do and um, have at it because look, look what this is saying to me. And it's, pr- it's probably a widely used um, thought on this verse that it's telling us not to judge at all whatsoever. Um, but we gotta continue on, right, through the, through the chapter. We gotta continue through the Bible. Uh, we take in the whole word, not just one verse at a time and, and sit on that to understand who Paul's talking to with that. Um, but our, our question is who is Paul speaking to? Um, there's five views in that. 
every person does fall into this category that he's talking to, any, any person without Christ. Um, this you is an unrep- unrepentant person that's either in or out of the church. You know, Paul is writing to the church, but he's writing to this church knowing and expecting this letter to be read out loud to everyone there. And Paul knows uh, people pretty well. Um, he knows the hearts of people pretty well and, and how they can be um, deceiving themselves. So um, Paul is, is definitely making a strong, bold statement here in verse 1. Um, so, okay, I'm in verse 3. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, we can see in... Um, Verse five. If we skip real quick, we'll get we'll get back down there to spend some more time in it. But verse five, um, it does point out the you here. Uh, be, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. So this you is not the regenerate person. This you is not the person that has the Holy Spirit in them or her. Yes, Mark. Yeah, it just it ties back into eighteen nineteen. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, it does. And it goes right back to chapter one. So that's why these are connected. Again, no chapter breaks. It's just this thought process has continued from chapter one. Um, and, and Paul's still addressing th- these people in the same way that he was. He's just um, pointing out a different group of people. Um, the one we're talking about in chapter two is going to be the moralist, the person who thinks, well, I'm an upright citizen. Um, I pay my taxes. I vote. I clean up my yard, I make sure it's mowed every Sunday or whatever. Um, They're doing those kind of things. And so this is the person that looked at the list in chapter one and said, that's that's not me. I'm not a murderer, I'm not a hater, I'm not a killer. Um, I'm not doing these things that Paul just listed. Look at me, I'm I'm really good. Um, I should be okay, I should be set. And chapter two, Paul's just nailing this person just as hard as we did uh, with, with chapter one. Um, just in a different standpoint. Verse 2. And we know that the judgment, which is God's judgment, His moral standard of judgment, the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So in verse 3, 2 and 3 here, Paul's continuing to address that same person, continuing to point some things out and remind that God will judge all people, that God will judge the person who, even if they're an upstanding person and good in the world's eyes and does good by the morals that the world sets, which are changing every day, right? It's not the same today as it was yesterday as it was 50 years ago or 2,000 years ago. That... The world is never consistent like God's word is in God's moral standard. So they're practicing the same things. They are going to be judged. We know Jesus is teaching on what the heart, um, the sins of the heart. You know, just because you didn't murder someone, did you, did you, did you have hate for that person? Um, and that's, that's just as bad. If you didn't commit the adultery, did you have the thought in your head? That's, that's just as bad. And it's also a sin. And we know what one sin um, earns. Uh, and, and there's obviously going to be multiple, multiple, multiple sins in every person's life. Um, so 
Paul's starting to take on a bit of a sarcastic tone here in this chapter. We see it starting in uh, a little bit in verse 2, but it gets into verse 3, 4. And 4 continues on after verse 3. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So what are the riches of God? Um, what are the things that we would consider the riches of God? What do you, what are you the class? What would you put out there as the rich? Okay, good. Just love with him every minute Yes, amen, amen. That's really good. Not being the punishment we deserve. Yeah. Yeah, we deserve we deserve what we can't even understand what we deserve. Um, and that's exactly what he's pointing out here. Um, that we're given time. We're given time. And the world, the people. Um, everyone that's been born and been alive uh, that hasn't died yet. They've all been given this time and we're continued to get the, given this time. The, the entire unrepentant world is given more time to repent and to come to God. And God is long-suffering with us. He puts up with a lot. Um, we, we get to live every day, especially in this country, with lots of grace and mercies and the abilities to, to do lots of things freely. Um, those might be getting questioned and, and upheld in different ways soon or not, but um, for a long time this country's lived in a, a, in a means of blessing that has been wonderful, and we all know it, the whole world knows it. Um, and whether or not that changes, uh, God knows, and God knows what needs to happen in this country, but um, many people throughout the world have been blessed um, that have never, never given their hearts and their lives to God, just with what they've been able to have, family children, um, parents that have lived a long time, and things to do throughout their life that are, are enjoyable here and now, and that is um, a lot of grace and a lot of blessings with that. His riches continue to pour out onto the world then and, to, and, and today. And Paul's asking, asking the hearer of this, the reader of this, the one that's really getting convicted if they're taking it lightly. And if you don't know Christ and you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart, um, this, this is going to feel even more convicting than it does for us as we're reading it um, right now and, and any time that you can this up and read it. Paul goes on to point out in verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And it, it is, it's our hearts, it's the world's hearts. We want to be in charge of our life. Um, the world wants you to feel good in everything that you decide to do. Um, everyone who doesn't know Christ, who hasn't had that regenerate heart put back in, put into them, um, they're going to want to be in control of everything that they do and have say and, and be a not autonomous and not be controlled or be subject to... Um, a higher power and it's the it's our hearts that we can't change ourselves we know that we can we know that God leads every person to him um, and and is the one to do the work because no one seeks God no one searches after him he searches after us 
what Paul's explaining is is like um, uh, a dam that's blocking blocking a river, blocking a stream, and it's building up water. It's building up a lake or a pond um, that continues to grow and grow, and it's for each person. And eventually, God's going to take that dam away, and that's His wrath that's going to pour down upon the person and just flood their life, and it's going to destroy them, and it's going to be eternal. It's going to be forever. It's not just going to be a temporary thing. Um, and this is what Paul is teaching right now, that this person is also in the same judgment as the one in chapter 1 was. Um, that they, there is no way out, and no one has righteousness of their own to avoid that wrath. Please, please. Um, knowing that it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. That's been a really strong example for me because so often people who can draw and how it's not going to And, you know, God didn't smack me down when I deserved it. And so just has really given me a heart for others um, to be kind even when I really struggle. Yeah. Yeah, he is kind and merciful in in so many more ways than we are. (laughs) No, we wouldn't be here. None of us would. So often we uh, say, if I was God, Right. Yeah. I, would, I would do this or do that and I'm so glad we're not there. Yeah. Yes. If humanity did what humanity would want to do with humanity, we're ashamed. Yeah. Good thing we're not. Yeah. Amen to that. Okay, um, we're moving on to verse 6 and through the, uh, the next part here. The impartiality of God. Um, verse 6 is going to be the principle of what Paul is is teaching on um, through the next couple of verses here, and he's quoting Psalm 62, verse 12, and also Proverbs 24, verse 12, and it reads, "Who will render to each person according to his deeds?" And that that's an amazingly strong verse. Um, Again, Paul's quoting from uh, the Old Testament passages there, referring back to the verses we just read in four, 3, 4, and 5. But the who is God, right? He's the one in control. He's the one that is our judge. Um, and he is the one who will do this. The word will is absolutely certain. This will happen. There, there's no question about it that this will come about. And render, as we know, is a, is a word meant for payment. What someone has um, earned, it's payoff to what each person has worked for. We know grace is something that we haven't worked for and we can't earn. But this is talking on rendering to what each person has earned. Um, and that's, that's not good uh, for anyone when it comes to paying for what we have earned because our righteousness doesn't earn us anything and our sins earn a lot of wrath. To each person, um, every human on earth, God keeps impeccable records of every person in a book. 
And it will be something on that final day that every person's gonna be held accountable for. If someone can flip to Revelations 20, and uh, I'd like someone to read 11 through 15, so we can take a look at that real quick. And this will refer back to what Paul is speaking of as he's quoting this verse. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Anyone got that? Okay, go for it. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from below the present earth, and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the and dead and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were known, thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Right, very, very strong passage there. Um, we saw it, it talks about everyone. Everyone has these deeds written down in these books. God is recording it, and every one of them, according to their deeds, is going to answer for these. And this is going to be everyone that doesn't know Christ, everyone who hasn't come to our Lord and our Savior and our God, um, everyone who hasn't been given a changed heart, we're going to answer for this. Um, it's, it's going to happen. The Word says it's going to happen. The Word is truth, and it, it will um, come about. And again, Paul's using these Old Testament passages to refer to what is coming to each person. Um, believers will be, will be judged. It'll be in a different sense. Um, we'll be judged according to... Um, good deeds. There might not be many, but the ones that are, um, there will be reward for it. There will be uh, some sort of reward. There will be crowns. The Bible talks about crowns, um, glory and honor. Uh, we, as far as I believe, we know that that's going to be something that we're celebrating Christ with, that we're, we're throwing crowns at his feet, that the people that are in heaven will be rejoicing of his glory and his goodness. Um, it's like Everyone's at their favorite football football uh, uh, game and watching their, their team win. And Christ is the one who, who wins. Christ is the one who scores points. And everyone's cheering and everyone's giving him the glory. It's not going to be about us and our glory and our honor. Um, God will render that to uh, the believers, the ones in heaven, the ones that he's brought with him. And that's that leads us into verse 7, who's Paul talking about. Now... Verse 7 here is the application, and into the next couple verses, the application of verse 6, Paul's going to talk about the believer in verse 7, and then the unbeliever in verse 8 and 9, and then the believer again in verse 10. And as we read through those, um, Paul says, To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. When we first read those verses, some might think that that is things that we probably shouldn't be seeking for. 
um, on our own. And on our own, we shouldn't because our righteousness, again, doesn't earn us those things. This is, um, this is someone who's had Christ come into their life, change their heart, and is doing this because this is his work, not for ourselves, not for anything else in this world. But the glory and the honor and the immortality is something that his word promises that we will have and that we will see and that it'll come about to everyone who is a believer. And only God grants faith and only a true believer can continue until the end with perseverance through these things. Um, But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. So, as we're reading verse 7 and it transitions to verse 8, I think it takes care of itself knowing that that word selfishly ambitious right there points out that the glory and honor, immortality, eternal life is not speaking of something that we're earning for ourselves on our own, for our, for our own good. Um, Paul's jumping from what the believer is doing, persevering and doing good, um, seeking for those things because the only good is Christ himself and and we're not good until he's the one doing the work in our hearts but verse 8 transitions to let us know we're not talking about the selfish ambitious person um, obey the truth but uh, they do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness you can't have both masters in your life and you can't um, you can't, you can't do both. You can't obey the truth and obey unrighteousness. It's going to be one or the other. There's no middle ground. And uh, again, that's, that's splitting the believer from the unbeliever. And saying what the one who obeys unrighteousness will get. Again, wrath and indignation. Yeah, pretending to be good as a bad person, it is exhausting. It, it, it's a lot of lies, and lies to cover up the lies, and more lies to do that as well. And um, it's God's kindness that's giving you time to lead you to repentance. And that's why those feelings are in our heart. We'll get there. Can I ask a question? Yes, sir. Um, What's your name? Jesse. Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Um, so, with, with the, you, you kind of began to touch on it a bit, like, um, you know, there have been enough times where I've talked to, um, you know, unbelievers, oftentimes religious people, um, but they don't, they don't believe the gospel, and sharing the gospel with them and showing, you know, salvation is completely by grace through faith, that there's no works that we can do to earn our salvation. And then they'll, they'll go to a passage like this and say, but see, it clearly says that God renders according to his works. Uh-huh. And it clearly says that those who by patience and well-doing will receive eternal life. And it clearly says, you know, they they do not obey the truth. So so obviously works are a part of our salvation, right? Um, how, how would you respond to, to somebody who wanted to use a passage like this to, to justify that we at least earn a part of our, our salvation? Um, salvation is through the work of of Christ and Christ alone we know on the cross that he shed his blood and died for us and he draws us to him through nothing of our own will or our own righteousness or our own works 
Um, the works are what come of faith. Mm -hmm. Once faith is real and once faith uh, has sunk into someone's heart and uh, regenerated it and now they're a believer, those works are what come about as God's work, as God's doing that He created before the earth began for us to do. And He uses the believer to do the work and it is proof that the heart was regenerated, but it's not uh, earning that person any salvation whatsoever. Um, it could earn them special rewards in heaven, which we're not completely clear on, but crowns and, and other things that could be possible there um, that we would throw at Christ's feet, not because we're going to keep them, but because we're going to give them to our Lord and our Savior. But those works are, are His works that He created. That if He's not going to use me to do it, He's going to use Him. And He's going to use her. He's going to use who He wants to use to get the works done. But those works don't earn a diddly squat, nothing at all when it comes to salvation. Uh, the works of the opposite of the unrighteous is what will be held against us when it comes to that day of judgment and wrath. Mm -hmm. But first, um, it's Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared before Great. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it, I, maybe in some ways it, it's not even a question so much. It's just a frustrating. And obviously God has to do the work in their heart. But it's, it's really frustrating when you spend so much time going, look, you, you can show them all these things and, and say, look, it is God doing the work in us. You know, even when we're saved, we can't do any good works. You know, even our righteous deeds are, are filthy racks before God. And then they, then they go back to this and they go, but see, clearly it says this. And it's like, okay, but you have to understand it all in context. Yeah. And, and some of these, like, obviously it's God's word, you know, and so he wrote it that way. But sometimes I get even a little bit frustrated. I'm like, God, why did you write this? I wish you would put a little a clause in there that says, you know, clearly so that when I'm dealing with these people, they understand, hey, you can't use this that way. Right. But, um, and you, I mean, you kind of even touched on it, you know, that, that word self-seeking. Maybe we can use that and say, but see, even even the good works you're doing, who are you glorifying? You're you're trying to glorify, and a lot of these really yeah. people are still going to go. Well, but I'm I'm trying to do, you know, what God God work is, and and I, I don't want to accuse say you're there being insincere, but it doesn't matter how sincere they're being, no. you know. Um, but but still, you know, it's at, at the end you are glorifying yourself. It's either religion of God, or religion of self. Yeah. But, and yeah. and how frustrating is it to be a Christian and to have friend, a family member that says they're Christian, and you want so badly to agree and affirm and, and believe that, but you see no works, <laughs> right? And you see the way they live their life, and you're like, ah, what are you doing? Are you sure? <laughs> um, and, and yeah, that, that puts us in a hard spot, and we are to judge, and we are to discern, and we are to help um, lead people in the right direction if they're making that claim, but when it comes to someone... Um, that's really close. That, that's hard. Right. And I'm especially people who are genuinely nice people. You know, by my standards, I would say you're a great person. Yeah. That doesn't change the fact that before God, you're guilty, and your niceness <laughs> will never get you to God. Yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of hard to. Convince. It's hard for them to understand. Right. It's hard for them. To and they can't. Them. They won't until right. this is truth in their heart and God regenerates it. And even kind of what you're saying, you kind of want to hit them over the head with, like, all right, fine, I'm gonna. You know, punch you with the Bible right. so you understand how bad you are. Yeah, you feel like that might just help more, huh? Yeah. But it's even that as a balance. You were talking about that because you were talking with my neighbor the other day, uh, just yesterday. And it's kind of like, where where do we draw the line of like, you know, we don't want to be a jerk, but we also need them to understand you are guilty. 
you know, and how how do we get them to understand that while still being loving? Yeah, right? it's you know? hard. And it's not that I don't like you. I think you're a nice person. It doesn't change the fact that before God, you're guilty. Absolutely. Right? A drunk driver can be a nice person and still be guilty before God. Right. You know. It, right. Or before the law um, and God, but. Like yeah. that, that doesn't play into it, but they, they, they don't understand it. They're, they're like, well, I, I do these good things. I even do these good things for God, you know, and and so at least you can go to talking with, with a neighbor. It's like, yeah, we, we bring our, our good things before God, and then he makes them better. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not it at all. Right. We have no good things to bring before God. Right. But, but yeah, it's it's a frustrating experience trying to get people to understand that. Absolutely. And and again, it's not really our responsibility to change their mind Mm -hmm. exactly. To share the truth. We gotta gotta share the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I I learned to love right now about Romans 2 and and digging into this is realizing how much application this has right here in Utah. Um, You know, again, Paul was addressing the person that's uh, participating in the things of the church in Rome. And the one that is is either in there and doing these things and saying these things, but hasn't had a regenerate heart, or they're watching from a close distance and seeing and, and thinking, oh wow, yeah, look, look how great they are and look how much they've changed and they're really good people. And Paul's addressing that person, but it applies to us right here and right now. Is this person who looks at everything in chapter one and says, that's not me, that's not me. I look at all the good deeds I've done, and Paul's just smacking him right in the face with uh, these verses here in, in chapter 2. And he's being very bold with it. He, he's not holding back at all whatsoever in, in these verses. 8-9 um, uh, tells the application, uh, verse 6, the unbeliever, selfish ambition, never died to self, living for the self. It's not for Christ. It's a snapshot of entire life for those who do not obey the truth. They obey the, the unrighteousness. Um, We are, we are, uh, he says in, in verse 9 here, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul. Once again, we're talking about every person. A lot of people will want to think this is not for every person, but uh, he, he addresses that multiple times just in the short part of chapter 2 here. Every man who does evil. And then he, he, he says this first again, which is interesting, and we'll keep seeing this, but of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Um, and again, the Jew was, was given uh, a stance with God, right? And they were given uh, a relationship throughout time and throughout history. And they are given the gospel first. And they will also um, be given uh, the wrath first for those who don't believe. Yes, Mark? Awesome. And then verse 10 but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Paul's talking about the believer. Um, And we know that when we look at the whole book of Romans, it's really hard to see it if you just read this passage. And that's what every other religion in this world wants to do, right? Is just read one passage out of the Bible and say, oh yeah, that's God's truth. I'm not gonna worry about the rest of it, but that part I like, so I'm gonna use that and apply it to my life. Um, God is perfectly just and, and in verse 11 there is no partiality with God and how true is that we got to love that verse we got to know that um, thoroughly everyone gets judged 
for what they will do. God is holy and perfect. He is the standard. He is the moral that was set. And it will be to that that we are held accountable, that the world is held, held accountable. And there, we, are not, we are not in the right position to question that. And we know that. We know that in our hearts. If we don't and we're new believers, we're going to learn that real quick. But the world is totally against that. And that, that's really how we can separate the believer and, and the unbeliever is by that. Um, knowing that God is just and fair. And, and as Christians, we can have lots of questions about that. As we grow and we learn and we understand more and we take in the whole Word of God and not just one scripture or one book or chapter or just the New Testament or just the Old Testament, as we learn and grow, we understand that more and more. But it takes time. And it doesn't just come into our heart like that that, that we learn this. It, it takes time to study and to be around a body of believers that can help us grow and help us learn that together. Um, all right, jumping into verse 12, and we'll go down to 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now we start getting into um, what about those who have never heard, that haven't heard, uh, God's law or the word or the gospel and Paul is needing to address that because we're getting to that in his letter to the church here because that question is starting to come up in people's head well if the really wicked person um, gets judged really bad and then the really moral person still gets judged really bad you know how's how's God being fair what about you know what about the people that just don't know and how many times have you had that question in your life come up? Well, what about the people in South America that have never, you know, heard about the Bible? I've been asked that multiple times. Maybe you guys have too. Because um, everyone wants to point out that they're more moral than God and that they, their judgment would be better than his. Um, and they don't feel like that's fair. And they don't feel like that's fair. But again, back in chapter 1 that Mark went over, Paul addressed it already. Paul addressed that God has put it in everyone's heart, that they know that there's a creator, that they can see by the things of this world, just waking up and looking out your window um, and, and seeing what there is that we can't create that. We can't create life in ourselves. We can't, we can't even clone things correctly and allow them to live uh, the way that they should live. It's, it's, life is not ours to own. It's not ours to have. Yes, sir. Yeah, so you got verse 20, 18 and 20, and then, I mean, it's all through Paul's dealing, but in verse 2, or chapter 2, when you just, in the first few verses, or the word, therefore you have no excuse. No excuse. You have no excuse. So you're in the deep part of the jungle, or if you're in the inner city, you have no excuse. Yeah. God has rebuilt himself in you. And what about that question that when people ask you about what about the people in South America? Um, what do you usually answer? Well, I've had different answers throughout the time. <laughs> After studying in Romans now for you know a couple months that we've been in it, um, my my answer has probably changed from what that was too, but uh, it's becoming more solid and. Lots of times when I try and come up with something on my own, 
um, there's no authority behind it. Yeah. So it's leading me more to relying on the word and just flipping open Romans and saying, let's skip down to verse 18 and let's read that together real quick. And they're going to reject it. Yeah. But it's the truth. And, and it has more authority and power than anything I can say. Now I can explain it afterwards and I can be loving and kind as a Christian. Not always, but I should be more often than not. And um, that the word is what's going to help explain it. Um, memorizing verses is what helps explain that too. But it's hard. And they don't want to hear it and they're going to reject that. And realizing you are not God and you don't know his plan and everything's life. Yeah. The thing about the gospel is there has to be bad news to have good news. And so there's got to be bad news. And that's that's what we have to share. Mm-hmm. Don't forget the Proverbs it says that for the way of the fool is right is mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta remember that. If you stick through the entire sixteen chapters of Romans, you'll be able to give an answer to just about any question that comes up about salvation. So it doesn't matter where they come from as far as the person that you know, can't hear about it in jungles to any other situation that comes up. If you stay through the class that Dean and I are teaching all the way through the end, you will have the information to witness and share the gospel and to uh, refuse or answer just about any question that will come up. <laughs> yeah, stick around. Stick around. They're a little flawed to stay. So in verse 12 there, uh, you, it, it could be read and, and maybe misunderstood as um, those without the law will, uh, without the law will also perish. And it might make you think, well, maybe they'll just die and become part of the earth and they won't have eternal damnation. But that's, that's, not, that's not what it's saying here. Uh, the word perish, it means to utterly destroy, kill, failing to save, eternal damnation. Um, so it will be the same punishment as all uh, unbelievers. Um, again, we, we went over Romans 1.18, uh, that everyone's under divine wrath who are not in Christ. Um, no one is innocent, no one is righteous, and no one has an excuse. And, and therefore, all of us should be telling others about Christ every day in our lives as we meet people. Um, Jesse, you were talking about, you guys were talking to a neighbor and that, that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to talk to neighbors, um, be loving and kind and, and, and live in peace with them, but we're, we're here to share, and we're here to share with those that we come across and that those we live with and that those that you know, we meet in the grocery store or out in the mall or anything that we might be doing. Even those here in church as we meet new folks and we've had so many come and go that didn't know what they're looking for, but looking for something. Um, you know, you were in that boat at one point. I was in that boat when, when I got to this church. And it's, it's our job to share inside and outside of the church with, with everyone and every chance we get. And it's hard. It's, you know, the world doesn't want us to do that. Work doesn't want us to do that. School doesn't want us to do that. The government doesn't want us to do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move it on here. Verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Again, confusing verse, especially read alone. Looking at that, it really looks like, hey, 
Well, that's not so bad. We can do the law and we will be justified. So what verse 13 is not saying is those who hear the law and do the law will be justified with God. Um, these are unconverted religious people who do the law without Christ. Look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everyone that thought they were doing the law and doing it as well as they could. Um, and they still weren't at a place with God that made him happy. Um, but this, this can be used out of context as easily as, as anything else in the Bible. Um, and we, gotta, we got to be able to explain that um, as Christians and as people that are trying to share. And if we're going through this with a neighbor or a friend or someone at work, uh, we got to be able to to use this correctly and continue to guide the person onto the full truth of God. Um, so what it is saying is the believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ will be justified by faith. All true faith is an obedient faith. We go back to Romans 1, 5. Um, and, and Paul mentions obedience there. Romans 1, 5. Through whom we have received grace... An apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Uh, obedience is an important part of the believer's life. And as a believer continues in his or her faith and grows, that we should be seeing that obedience grow too. Now there's lots of times where we take a back step. Uh, we might fall down. We might have long periods in our life or our family's life that aren't um, in obedience, but that perseverance comes into play on, on the lifespan of that individual. Faith is, faith is the only means to obedience, uh, to the obedience that God is looking for. We know that by reading through the word itself and understanding all of scripture. Faith is the root and obedience is the fruit, is a phrase that I, I heard in my studies and liked, so I shared that. Um, because we know, we know the Lord teaches this in Matthew and what another strong, bold verse from Jesus himself. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone's going to be saved. Um, but those who do the will of my father. And again, we live in an area, we live in a state that everyone thinks they're doing things for Jesus, for who they call Jesus. Um, but is it the will of the father? And we, we know the answer to that. But they're lost and they don't. And again, we're called to share this and, and called to be able to explain some of this and when it comes up in conversation. And I've never had someone bring up this verse particularly, but it, it could happen. And we should know it a little bit. Um, it'd be good to, to study it more and look into it uh, so that we have answers for questions like this because they're tough. Um, but as you continue through Romans, I mean, we... Paul's taking a long time to get to the good part, and we're not going to be there for a while either. We know what it is. But the person first hearing this, it's unconverted, doesn't it yet? So, yeah. Uh, verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. Well, that's interesting. What is that trying to say to us? Place it in their heart. They're doing the law instinctively. And it is a law to themselves. Yeah. Where do we get our morals? Right? Such a good question to ask. 
by what moral standard do you think this or that? Um, to anyone who's raising moral issues that's unconverted about the world and what's going on in our country right now and what matters and what we should vote for and blah, 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 blah. You know, Tyler's really good at it. Pastor Tyler will, will always, he'll ask me sometimes, by what standard? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, okay, uh, let me back up a minute. <laughs> um, but that's true. Uh, God's put some of these in general into the heart. Those without the law instinctively do what is written in the law. Uh, the finger of God has written it onto everyone's heart, and it's not the full knowledge. And this is uh, a partial knowledge. It is not enough to save them, is what this is. It, it is enough to condemn them, though. It is enough for that. And again, that goes to every person in the whole world, uh, from that person to South America, um, to America, to, to around the whole globe. It is enough to condemn them. Um, they are held accountable to God for their deeds, thoughts, consciousness, their secrets. Uh, these people have, they will have a lesser accountability than those who have heard the law, but nevertheless, they will be held accountable and will be judged. Um, and that jumps into verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, oh, sorry, 15, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscious bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Um, the, the law is written on their hearts just as we said, their conscious bearing witness of their thoughts. It's either accusing them or defending them. Um, think about the person who... Let's go extreme just to really make a, an example, but the, the person who... Um, first considered and then followed through the action of, of stealing something worth, you know, a couple hundred bucks out of whatever store. Um, the first time they did it, they're conscious, probably, likely, most of us would, uh, hold, hold on pretty heavily. It would cause them to have fear, anxiety, worry. Now there might be some excitement and some adrenaline that pumps through them as well. They might get some kind of joy out of it, but they know it is wrong. Um, when I was a teenager, I, I remember the first thing I stole out of the store. And um, I knew, I knew, I knew how wrong that was. And I felt guilty um, and, and I was unconverted. And it sat with me for a long time. And it was enough to make me not do it again. But my buddy I did it with, was, it was not enough. And he continued and continued and continued. And every time it was easier. And eventually, once we grew up a little bit, he stopped. But I got a, I got a family member that has been in that same type of deal. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the more you do it, the more your conscious changes and starts defending you for doing that. It's justified. It justifies it. Yeah, it's filthy, but it, it feels good. Um, you think you have reasons to do it. I mean, look at all the looting and rioting that's going on throughout the country, and people are justifying it. The ones that aren't even doing it, but they're support of them. They're justifying it. Back to Romans one thirty-two. Um, it's their conscience is changing because they've continued and continued into this sin and. It's no longer accusing them. Their hearts 
are defending them. Because God's given them over. Back in, in chapter 1, as we read, God's given them over to depraved minds of unrighteousness and evil deeds. Uh, and that's, that's sad. We need to continue to pray uh, for anyone that we know like that and pray for our country and our, and our world as we're going through whatever these times are and um, know that, that that's exactly what's going on. That law is written there. We were guilty. They were guilty the first time they did it. But by the 5th or 10th or 20th time, the guilt's gone. It's not there. But they're still held accountable for it. They just don't know it anymore. And then verse 16, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Again, we're talking about the day of wrath. Uh, Paul mentioned it in verse 5. You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. Wrath in Revelation. The righteous judgment of God. Um, this is that day. This is what we read in Revelation 20. This is that day. And everyone's going to be held accountable for it. And the only way we're not is through the righteousness of Christ, which He has imputed to us. Which praise God for that and praise God for His glory and His righteousness and His goodness that we can cling to that and not our deeds because our deeds are just going to burn. And we'll be able to see that. And that there, there are a couple good ones that come through because we've done them in Christ. Um, that will be seen too. And we'll think, why didn't we do more of those? You know? <laughs> and uh, God will probably show us how many times He gave us the opportunity to do those things as well. Um, but that's all that will save us. That's all that will save anyone in this world. And again, this is why we should, we should share with everyone. Verse 16 is a final warning. Um, according to the gospel, one must believe and obey Jesus Christ. That, that He is who He says He is. That He is our Lord, our Savior, the God, the Creator, and He sustains every breath because He is patient and kind and loving and gives us every moment to repent and gives the world every moment that they have to the day of their death. Again, God will means that absolutely certain it will happen and, and He's going to judge. And it says God will judge and we know Jesus Christ is the judge. He will be the judge on the final day to decide, to determine, to bring the trial to condemn to separate and select and choose. And secrets. It's not just deeds. It's about our hearts and our minds. And the world needs to hear that. And they need to know that. And we as, as Christians need to remember that too. That thoughts that we have, some are uncontrollable. We talked about that last week. It just When you see a pretty woman walk by, immediately there are thoughts as men um, that pop up into our, our minds. But what do we do with those thoughts? Do we let them fester and continue? Do we dwell on it? Do we condemn that thought immediately and ask Christ to come into our heart and help guide us away from that and back to what is righteous and moral? But it's all time, right? That's all uh, sanctification. It's what is built in our hearts and what we're asking for. What are we feeding? The, the thought that wants to continue in the unrighteousness or our, our Lord's righteousness. And that really matters. It's a big deal. So there we go. There's chapter 2 through verse 16. 
Um, it continues to get good. This book's amazing, and it, it's just, it's going to keep going. There's, there's no low part of this book. Romans is amazing. Okay. Anyone got anything to add? <laughs> Okay, Roy, would you mind closing us in a prayer? Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together and uh, to listen to your word and really uh, dive into it and, and pull out of it what we need to know and what we need to trust and go forward in our Lord, and we thank you for our teachers and all the preparation we do. Know it's hard work because they have lives to appreciate. As these things, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.